This audio is from South Fellowship Church. For more information about South Fellowship, please visit southfellowship.org. It's true. I'm a Presbyterian pastor. Part of the Frozen Chosen. Okay, Frozen. I get really excited sometimes. I'm dancing right now. I can't tell you how excited it is uh, for me and my wife to be here. Uh, we have been coming since the 1st of January, and whenever um, we're not here, it's because I'm filling in for uh, a pulpit or a pastor somewhere who's uh, missing in action, and uh, so I do that. But I try to be here as much as possible, and when my wife and I visited <clears throat> last year, I guess it was about no October, I don't know, sometime many months ago, <clears throat> I had uh, just resigned as a pastor, and while visiting here, I stepped into, it was because of my wife's cousin, whose parents are here, her daughter who goes here, told my oldest daughter about this church that we needed to visit, and so we came. You got that? So that's how it works, right? Isn't that what happens? I mean, people told, Okay. So we arrived here uh, just for a visit and stepped into this place. I couldn't sing. I can't sing anyway, but I couldn't sing because I was just so overwhelmed with emotion and so excited about uh, a place like this. And, and I, I looked at the bulletin and I went online and I was looking at everything. I was meeting all these awesome people. And, and what had happened is when, when we had the, the blessing and the privilege of planting a church many, many years ago, I guess about two, three hundred years ago, um, in, in California, the vision that I really thought the Lord had laid on my heart did not happen. But it happened here. I'm going, where have you guys been all my life? <laughs> So the Lord had to take us through, uh, you know, just the circles, and, and uh, we, we arrived here, moved down in this area from Fort Collins um, after I resigned, <clears throat> nice place, and um, arrived here the 1st of January, getting settled in, visiting on occasion, and, and I, I'll tell you, the, the preaching, I, I've told your pastor this, that his preaching blesses my socks off. So now I know where my socks go. It's not the dryer to have anything to do. With it. But uh, um, really, he's the kind of guy who who hits the heart, but says some substantial stuff, right? And it's been it's been great. It's been great. And then when I heard Pastor Dan preach, it's like, oh my word! <laughs> and then other others who have stepped in is like, I'm just overwhelmed. You know, such a blessing to be here. And so I'm getting to know some of you, and it's been great. I w wanted to put, um, Aaron told me how to do this real cool thing and put the notes on, on uh, you know, my iPad, and I tried it, and the, the iPad is too small, and my iPhone is way too small. And uh, so then I thought, well, maybe my computer is way too big. Um, so I brought my notes. This is the Bible. This is not my notes, sorry. Um, my notes with me. The only thing is, Aaron, I can't swipe my notes. <laughs> it, it doesn't work very well. But would you turn with me to Second Samuel in the Old Testament, chapter 9. Second <clears throat> Samuel 9. It's a, it's a 
a story, a historical reality, and uh, something that has happened is from rags to riches, a story about Mephibosheth, about King David, and then about King Jesus and us. We, um, when Mephibosheth was born, can you imagine, I mean, what got into them? Mephibosheth, really? Are, are you serious? <laughs> I, I can see Prince Jonathan. Honey, it's a meth. <laughs> Look. Oh, sorry, that's, that's our grandson. I can do that because I've been invited here and I have the privilege of the floor. So, <laughs> That's our second grandson. He is now four weeks old. Grandma's really excited and great-grandma's really excited and auntie's excited and, and we're just all excited to have. Um, but Mephibosheth, when he was born, can you imagine being given that name? How about Bo, right? Come on. Mephibosheth. Um, sad to say, though, at the age of five, his, um, his, uh, was that Mephibosheth? <laughs> He's calling. Um, at the age of five, his nurse dropped him, and somehow he became handicapped. It says he was crippled at his feet, and we don't know what happened, why it is, but he, he couldn't walk, he couldn't maneuver, he couldn't get around. And normally, even though he was born of, uh, of royalty, he did not have the, the blessing and the privilege of being considered a real man. On the day that he was dropped or fell or whatever, and he became crippled and handicapped, his father and his grandfather, King Saul, died in battle. Bad day. Worst day ever. Horrible day. So he grows up, and uh, back in, in that day, if you were a possible contender for the throne, what they would do is they would try to kill you. And so he was hiding, and he was severed from the king's country. Because it says, there was a servant in the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. Good old Ziba, you know Ziba, right? Ziba. And they called him to David, and the king, David, said to him, are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. And the king said, is there not still someone in the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? And Ziba said to the king, there is a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet. And the king said to him, where is he? And Ziba said to the king, He is in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, at Lodabar. He's severed from the king's country. He's in Lodabar. You know, that's out past Greeley, if you didn't know. It's way out there. Actually, it's more like in the middle on the way to uh, Las Vegas. Funny names they have. Ziba, statue. If Meph didn't have a bad enough name, can you imagine naming your kid Z Ziba? Hey, statue, the baby is born, I shall call him statue. You know, what's up with that? Makir means salesman or sold. He was a rich man. Amiel was another man, and he, it means my people is God. We are God. Yeah, right. Lo Debar, not the pasture. I love Hebrew because you have something and you have not something. I remember a goofy show years and years ago about, you know, dinosaurs, you know, talking dinosaurs. Anyway, the only thing that I thought was funny from that is the little dinosaur baby you always sat in, in, the, in the high chair always said, not the mama, right? He couldn't say daddy, he said, not the mama. It must have been Hebrew because that's what the Hebrews do. You know, you, you, it, it's the ball or it's not the ball. 
It's the weather, it's not the weather. It's the pasture and not the pasture. It's the people and not the people. Well, he is living in not the pasture, meaning out in the wilderness. He fled for his life because he knew that if he fled any further, he was probably going to be killed by the enemies of Israel. But it was typical, off with your head, because you're a possible contender with this new king. In fact, David's servants did that. They went killing off everybody. And there was this great conflict between these two tribes, the Benjaminites and the Termites. No, the people from whom, you know, where do we get the ites from anyway? The Benjaminites... And, and Judah, the people from whom Saul, I mean David came, and they were, they were at each other's throats, literally, wonderfully, you know, got along well, just like church today. And uh, so he was hiding in Lodabar, fearing for his life, separated from his own family, and yet David shows kindness. Not niceness. So, by the way, Mephibosheth means terminator. Arnold has come to terminate the idols, right? Terminator. Yeah, how'd that work out for him? <laughs> terminator. Now, can you well imagine Ziba being very skeptical? It's like, um, why do you want to know? But he's going to obey David. And David sends him off. And so now he's sought. Mephibosheth is sought by the king's people. It says, Then King David sent and brought him from the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, at Lodabar. That's Google GPS, by the way, if you didn't know. And when he gets there, can you well imagine in his mind and heart, he's thinking, I'm a dead man. Oh, I'm dead. I'm dead. I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to die. I'm going to be killed. They clean him up. This is what you do before you meet the king. They get you all clean. They bathe you. They, you know, do your hair, nails, you know, pedicure, and all these other cures. And then they put new, nice clothes on you, and then they introduce you to the king. And when he gets there, of course, now he's handicapped. I mean, no wheel, wheel, wheelchairs. He's on some kind of chair. And he arrives, and the first thing he does, he literally falls flat on his face. He came to David, he fell on his face and he paid homage, he worshipped David, and he revered David. He said, and David says, Mephibosheth. I don't know about you, but if I'm laying flat on my face before the king, knowing that I'm going to die, scared out of my wits. And David calls his name. And usually when, in, in, in the Old Testament, when a king where God calls your name, it means he is declaring he has power and authority over you. And he answers, I'm your servant. I'm your servant. He's not looking at him. He's flat on his feet. I'm your servant. He was sought and he was brought. But he seeks the mercy of the king. Now, he could have said, I don't have a problem. David, you have no business being king. I should be king. Saul was the king. My, fo- uh, my father died. He should have been king. I should be king. I don't have the problem. I deserve to be king. You're the rebel, David, not me. I deserve life my way. I'm at my relative's home, and how dare you bring me to your place? I'm like a god. In fact, I'm a living god. You will serve me. He doesn't do that, does he? 
He could have, because you have instances in which they did that. Instead, imagine what he thought. I am handicapped, crippled. I'm dethroned. I've lost it all. I'm a rebel enemy of the king. I deserve death. I'm hiding away in the wilderness. In fact, he says, I'm a, I'm a dog. Despicable me. There was hardly anything worse than being a dog to the Jews. They weren't cute pets like we have them. They were scavengers and nasty and mean and gross. And he says, I'm a dog. Not only that, I'm worse than that. I'm a dead dog. I'm a stinking dead dog. But I'm your slave. I'm willing to be a slave. That was the best he could hope for. So he seeks the king's mercy. And he comes in humility. But then he's shocked by the king's grace. He paid homage and said, What is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog as I? The king is extending to him great kindness and mercy. In fact, he had said that he would do this on behalf, doesn't he? On behalf of his best friend, David's best friend, Jonathan, who was a little older than he was. He would do that, but he's shocked by this grace. I can imagine Ziva's, you know, the servants kind of sitting, watching this, like, what's up with this? Have you ever been kind to somebody and they said, why are you doing this? What are you doing? Why are you, you know? So Ziva's thinking, what's up with this? And David said to him, do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan, and I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father, and you shall eat at my table always. It was beautiful in 1 Samuel 18. Jonathan made this wonderful covenant. Greater and deeper than any contract you could ever make. It was so precious. It it even says uh, in verses 1 through 3 that it knit their souls together. And on behalf of, of consideration and friendship that he had with his dearest friend, Jonathan, he said, I will show kindness to you. I'll be gracious to you. He never said he would be nice. You don't find niceness in the Bible. And the reason for that is being nice is passive. It's sweet. Kindness is an activity that builds others up and helps them. I will show kindness to you for the sake of your father. He was in his right to say, yeah, you're a dead dog, all right, off with his head, gone, be gone. But he doesn't do that. He becomes like a co-heir, a place of honor and privilege and power now. What, a, what an awesome thing. And now he sits at the king's table. In these verses, we find that he sits at the king's table. And it keeps saying he sits at the king's table. And in Hebrew, they didn't have exclamation marks. Anytime they wanted to make a point, they always said it three times. Twice, you better listen. Three times, you really better get it. And so he sits at the king's table. Is like, what's up with that? Only people of privilege and blessing and honor and power who were almost at the same level as the king had any ability whatsoever, any privilege, any blessing to sit with the king, which meant you get to listen to what the king said. You even got to contribute to what the king said, his plans, 
If he told you to do something, it was as good as the king telling you to do something. You see, he went from enemy, a treasonous enemy, considered to be a dead dog, to the level of someone who sits at the king's table. But it wasn't just merely at the king's table. It also meant that he had the blessing of all that the king would give to him. And so it says, he tells Ziba, you and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him, shall bring in the produce that your master's grandson may have bread to eat. And he prospered. He prospered. Not only that, he serves at the king's side. Because it wasn't just a matter of sitting there with the king, eating away on turkey dinner, stuffing, mashed potatoes. And can, you, can you see school has started, so I'm kind of gearing up for this feast that's coming up, right? It wasn't just that. But Meth lived in Jerusalem for a always ate at the king's table, but guess what? By the way, he was still lame, crippled, handicapped. He shouldn't have been in that position because you just don't do that with handicapped people back then. He goes from the, the worst, most despicable position up to the place of privilege. And he serves by the king's side. Wow. Wow but he was still handicapped. The end. <laughs> I really wrestled with this all week long because I preached this before and, you know, and I kind of, it's just not coming together. And this is why. Because I really wanted you, you to get the sense of this Old Testament historical event that really did happen and, and how centuries before Jesus, who was king, ever came and ever showed up and arrived Something spectacular happened. There was a good news message here. That's what the gospel means. That you fast forward now to our day. Uh, it's the end of this story, but it's not the end of King Jesus' story or even the end of our story, is it? Now, what I want you to do as you go from here to think about it and meditate upon it, it's a labor day tomorrow, which means you need to labor and thinking about these things. No, it doesn't mean that, right? How we were severed from the king's country. We were severed from the king's country. It started with Adam and Eve. We were in the same position as them. You know, if we were placed in their sandals, we would have done the same thing. They rebelled against God. God had everything for them, and they said, no, we're going to do it our way. We're going to be the gods. We're going to have life as we want it. And we're still doing that. And so what did he do? He sent them out of this garden in the land of Eden. And he, he cast them out and out of the garden. And he threw them into the wilderness. And by the way, in John chapter 4, we see a beautiful second Adam coming along. And in that passage, we see Jesus. Where does he start? He starts in the garden. He starts in the wilderness. And he goes into the garden. He leads us into the garden. But we start by being severed from the king's country. Like Meph, we had riches, power, and fame, but now we have nothing with no name. Who do we think we are? We're so good. Look at me. I, you know, I'm awesome. 
yeah, maybe compared to this person or that person, but when we stand before the face of God, what are we? What are we? And that's where we are to compare ourselves. But the beautiful thing is, look at this. The kindness of God, we are sought by the king's people. Jesus, King Jesus, for the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which is lost. I'm not lost. Oh, yeah? Yeah, we are. He sought us out. As we sang, he sought us out. King Jesus sends out his own to bring his other people home. This is what the book of Acts is all about. King Jesus sends us out to bring others back from the wilderness. Right? Isn't that a wonderful thing, an awesome thing? He seeks out his enemies. We were hiding in the wasteland, but he carries us to his homeland. Ugh, think about that. Seeking out the king's mercy. You know, we could stand before God, and many, is, uh, many of us have, many of us still do, and maybe you're in this position where in defiance, say, I don't have a problem. I deserve to be the king of my life. I'm the governor of all that I'm doing. And Yeah, right. How's that working for you? God... I deserve my life my way. I'm living at my relative's home. I'm like a God. I am a living God. God, you need to serve me. And if that's where we're at, then God says, okay, have it your way. All the way into eternity. But the beautiful thing is the kindness of God, like the kindness of King David, through the kindness of King Jesus, actively pursues you and if, if you're humbled by this and you recognize that if we stand before God, like, we're like cockroaches before this fiery furnace called the sun. What are we? We would admit we are all handicapped in some way. We've lost it all. We're rebels before God's justice. We could say, I deserve death. Spare my life. Lord, I need you. You're the only living God. May I live to serve you. And that really is the attitude that he had and it's the attitude that we're called upon to have as well is that we recognize who we are and we are absolutely nothing before God. And that's humility. So when by mercy God calls your name, confess your need, your guilt, your shame, for you will never see God's face unless you're humble. None of us can go before, I'm great. God, give me. It doesn't work that way. And if that's the position, then we ought to be shocked by kings, the king's grace, right? We stand amazed at the throne. You were dead in trespasses, Ephesians says, and in sins in which you used to walk following the course of the world. That's exactly the picture of Mephibosheth. Following the prince of the power of the air, you know, his clansmen and his tribes against the king, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of God's wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, what's it say? Being rich in mercy. 
because of the love, the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together in Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Saved from God's anger, his wrath, your guilt, your shame. Saved from all of it. Saved from hell. He made us alive. For by grace, we are saved. Shocked by the king's grace. You know, we, we, we should be punished for our treason. And by the way, our treason is the reason for Jesus' coming. You will never know the kindness of God until you experience the mercy and grace of God. When I taught public sixth grade uh, many years ago, I would tell the kids, I have a policy. You know, there's always consequences for the things that you do, good or bad, rewards and cursing, uh, you know, so good stuff and bad stuff, I mean, not that I'm going to cuss you. And I, I would say there, and two things is mercy and grace. And mercy is I'm going to hold back punishment that you deserve. But grace is I'm going to give you something that you don't deserve. So sometimes they didn't deserve recess. I said, okay, it's grace time. Recess. If you really want to know, I did it for me. <laughs> I need the break. 37 sixth graders. Mercy and grace. You will never know the depths of your soul. In, in your soul, you will be overwhelmed by such great grace and great mercy when you take hold of, us, of this in humility. Can't, right? Amazing grace. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was, but now. Finish. Yeah, grace, grace. He gave us what we didn't deserve and he kept from us what we do deserve. And so now if we trust and we believe in this great and wonderful King Jesus, the God who became a man on our behalf, who was the king who became a slave for us, we get to share in the king's fortune. What do we deserve even when we were dead, by grace you've been saved, he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ. You know what that means? It means that when God looks upon you who have trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, he sees you as not only being down here in the nasty now and now, but he sees you as being at his right hand hand next to his son Jesus ruling and reigning and sitting at his table. I don't feel like it, but that's the reality of it. That's our identity when we trust in Christ. Not only that, it says in him we have obtained an inheritance having been predetermined or predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Wow. He took us, he cleaned us up, he gave us this robe of righteousness. He made us right so we could go into his presence and he gave us everything. We have obtained an inheritance. Hebrews 9 and, and 1 Peter, and think about that. It's just like the prodigal son who rebelled and spent all of his, all that he had and, and squandered it away. And when he came back to his dad, his dad embraced him and lavished love upon him and showed him kindness. He didn't deserve it. 
He should have stayed with the pigs. But the father embraced him and loved him and welcomed him and gave him a partay with lots of food and dancing and a ring and a robe and all that. And he didn't deserve it. But I want you to think about this. He gives us gifts, incredible gifts. He gives us great gifts. Out of his kindness, my life was restored and the kingdom inheritance is my reward. Kingdom inheritance. Love, joy, peace, patience, life in the Holy Spirit, justice, kindness, grace, shalom, (laughs) prosperity. All that we have in Christ in his kingdom. And he's given it to us. And we didn't deserve it whatsoever. But this is what's so amazing. This, this kills me. What we inherit in Jesus is beyond what we can think or see. What Jesus inherits from God is just you. Just me. <laughs> Such a deal. Can you see the discussion in, in eternity past? The Father, the Son, and the Spirit having this great eternal council on their discussing how the creation of mankind and, and then, you know, what's going to happen when they rebel and how they're going to make it all right and, and bring those people back to himself. You know, they had, oh, lots of options, but they chose only one. And that was to send Jesus, who volunteered, the Son of God, to become man to live the perfect life we can never live, to fulfill God's requirements and law and then die upon the cross, to fulfill the payment as a treasoner, somebody who committed treason. He did it on our behalf. (laughs) And what does he get out of it? We get everything. We get all that is in the kingdom now. And we have the new heavens to look forward and the new earth and, and, the, and the involvement and the precious life in, in God. We have all that. And he gives us all this. And what does he get in exchange? Me and you. What are we? Such a deal. Jewish people are better than this. This is no deal. All this for this. And he did it and he would do it again. Because of grace and mercy and the kindness of God, he would do it again. So think about this, you know. Why don't you say it with me? So what we inherit in Jesus is beyond what we can think or see. What Jesus inherits from God above is just you and just me. Wow. Not only that, we get to sit at the king's table like the wayward son 
We get to have that privilege like Mephibosheth and sit with the king and confer with him. And even when he has these plans and he exposes his will and we listen to it and we hear it and we say, "Uh uh-uh, oh no, God, no, I've got a better idea. He patiently listens as though, okay, go ahead, bring it, complain. I still have my plan. I still love you. You can still sit. You can still feast. I'm not going to kick you out. Say what you say, but I will have my way. Exactly. <laughs> amen. Got the amen choir, right. Train her well. <laughs> Sitting at the king's table, what a privilege. And serving by the king's side, you know, the beauty of the, of the supper that we celebrate on occasion is just a little tiny taste of the beautiful, wonderful feast that we can look forward to. And it's a sample of the, of the awesome treasures that we will have and share in Christ. But not only that, we get to serve by the king's side. How? How? We sing to him. We sing to one another. We pray to him. We pray for one another. We witness. We share. We do kind deeds. We're actively involved in tiny ways and in big ways. And it doesn't really matter because ultimately Jesus is there in you and with you and behind you and above you and below you and he's all around and you are serving by his side. He's doing what he does through you. Wow, what a privilege. What a privilege. So in spite of our old condition, we're given a great position. We were poor and lonely fools. But now in Christ, we're in Christ who rules. You're a co-heir, a fellow prince and a princess, like C.S. Lewis's, you know, the kings and the queens. You share that position because you're in Christ if you trust and believe in him. It's an amazing thing if you think about it, isn't it? It's a wonderful thing that he has, you know. Jesus paid it all. How's it go? All to him I owe. Crimson's name. Washed me white as snow. And he gives us tons on top of that. You see, this is what is called the gospel. The gospel means good news. This is good news. This is an excellent news. This is, this is more. You know, when you come to Jesus and you have this uh, relationship with him and you trust and believe in him, you know, here's the point. The bottom line, the point is not that you have a ticket to heaven, though that's true. It's you have all these things in addition. It's the inheritance. It's the inheritance. Not the end. (laughs) Because you're still here. You're alive. The story continues. Some of you don't know the gospel or Jesus or don't understand this good news. We would encourage you after, uh, as, after we sing and give the benediction to come forward and talk to one of the elders or pastors or prayer team and, and ask them, how do I know, how can I trust in the Lord Jesus who is king? How can I demonstrate a humility to have what Jesus gives? Father, thank you. So much for the blessing, the privilege 
of hearing and seeing what you have to say and what's in store from your word. If anyone here doesn't know you, Lord, I pray that this would be the day in which they come to faith in Christ. And if we, those who do, may we be enriched and encouraged by all that Jesus has done for us out of his kindness and grace and mercy. And thank you for the riches and the blessing that we have beyond measure. Amen. This audio is from South Fellowship Church. Feel free to make copies of this message, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way. For more information about South Fellowship, please visit us at southfellowship.org.